Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thank you very much for downloading this. I'm Mark Stephen. This is the sixth and final podcast in our Monitor Farm series. Now, each farm involved has opened itself up to external scrutiny and fundamentally questioned the old way of doing things. In a rapidly changing environment where subsidies are going to be reduced, the effects of Brexit are still becoming apparent, and pressure for farms to become carbon neutral is growing, questioning the old way of doing things is probably the sensible thing to do right now. Andrew Booth is a sixth-generation farmer from Aberdeenshire. He grows high-quality arable crops on his 1,700-acre Savak farm. He was a monitor farmer for three years and prides himself on being innovative and adaptable. Peter Chapman has South Redbog Farm near Stricken. Peter's an early adopter of using technology to improve his production efficiency. His philosophy for crop production is based on attention to detail and on maintaining a very healthy soil, supporting a high-input, high-output management regime. Hello to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. The, the the chance to do this podcast has been a long time coming. Peter, I take it you had problems with your harvest. Well, no, we had a we had a very good harvest. I would say it was one of the easiest we've had, but um, that you know caused its own issues. That nearly every day was a busy day, so it was it was difficult to find a slot to get uh, to get this podcast recorded. So, but no, it was a very good harvest, a very easy harvest, um, and I wish we could have one like that every year. I'm delighted to hear it. Very difficult to schedule a day for a podcast, knowing that it's going to be raining three days in advance. Andrew, can you tell me a wee bit more about your business, please? Certainly. So, yeah, as you said, Mark, we're, we're running about 1,700 hectares just north of Aberdeen. We're about 10 minutes north between New Brunellen on the coast, varied between owned, rented and contract farmed. We grew a variety of crops from everything with traditional spring barley for malting, wheat mainly for animal feed, also drape. But about four years ago, we put in, uh, we have an AD plant on the farm and we've now introduced more grass in the rotation as well as rye and triticale, uh, which allows us to get an eight-year rotation on the farm. And we also grow oats winter and spring, gluten-free ones for which we also process within our own mill on the farm. I haven't seen your operation personally, but my colleague Ewan McElwraith has. You know, the, the anaerobic director, he says logistically it was one of the most impressive things he's ever seen. It ran like it ran like a railway station. Yeah, no, it's it's something because if you the market is a, the price isn't within reason a fixed price. So we 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 don't have the benefit of um, variety. We're the we're the feedstock suppliers. So we don't have the benefit of any moving commodity prices, for example, like the gas price just now. So our costs and our overheads have to be run to that's where we can help make our margin so when it comes to the harvesting day the day you came it is it's it's orchestrated and we've got an excellent team um not me that uh, that run that uh, very very efficiently to the point that even every subcontractor that comes into whole silage or rye will get the following day there's a wee chart to how much diesel they have used per ton which they then goes on a chart for a for a win for a case of beer at the end of the week or something like that so it's always you know my tractor is better than your tractor well no i'll tell you exactly whose tractor is better than who and it's you know, it could actually be the driver opposed to the tractor so yeah no everything is managed and uh, measured in that part of the business 
Excellent. Peter, could you do me the same thing? Just tell me a bit more about your business. Hi, we're uh, we're farming up in the northeast corner, um, about 10 miles south of Fraserburgh, 10 miles north of Peterhead. We're just over a thousand acres all owned, uh, farm with my wife, Grace. And um, we are mainly arable, 850 acres arable, uh, which is split into five blocks, growing feed wheat, winter oil seed rape, winter barley, and uh, spring barley. And, and as I said, all, it all goes for, uh, for feed. We don't grow any malting crops. Uh, the remainder of the farm is either temporary grass, permanent grass, or, or rough grazing, which supports a, a suckler herd of about 2780 cows, all to the Aberdeen Angus bull, and um, everything's finished in-house. And we also have uh, four 800 kilowatt wind turbines. Uh, two went up in 2008 and two went up in 2013, which gives us a, a very nice diversified income. No, it must be a handy thing to have. Why, Andrew, did you decide to join the Monitor Farm Project? I think at the time it was in the farm and our business were a bit of a crossroads. We had uh, with a farm shop at the time, and we felt uh, one aspect felt that we'd spent too much effort on it, and we'd le- had spent less effort on the farm. And we, I wanted to focus back on that, and I knew a few people who had done it previously. I, in fact, my brother-in-law in New Zealand had done it many, many years ago when it was in the concept stages, where they obviously where the, the idea came from. And I remember somebody once saying it kind of accelerates your um, progress in your business. It's, you know, a 10-year progression you can do in th- three years of the monitor farm. And we were going through change, and it was succession. We were, it was big investments to be done on the farm. And as a business and as a family, we're quite good at sharing, I would say. Um, Peter might say differently. And uh, But I thought it was you know, a good opportunity to, to glee some information from other people, from our peers, and you know, Peter being one of them as well, and, uh, and see if we could improve our, our farming business. How did you find the whole process, Peter? I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I think Andrew was a, a model monitor farmer. There were small areas of improvement to be done. It was a well-run business anyway, but you know he was accepting of criticism. He was very willing to adopt recommendations from the community group or the management group. And I think over the three years, a lot was achieved. And I think the, the people who attended the meetings always got something out of the meetings. And I, I think it was an exemplary group. I've been involved in a couple of monitor farms and certainly I, w- I would say a lot was achieved in Andrew's one, and a lot of that was to do with, with Andrew himself and how he approached it. Did it actually work, Andrew? I mean, when you say you can take you know, 10 years' improvement and compress it into three, is that what happened? Well, it depends how you measure that. I think in terms of how we've... If you, if you look where we were in, back in 2011 or whatever it was, we are you know, now farming five, four or five times as many acres, I don't know, but that doesn't mean it's four times bigger, you know, it's 10 acceleration. Um, one of the big, there's a couple of, there's a couple of major things, you know, the legacy, I would believe, I always say of the project has been the benchmarking group, which we may come on to a bit more later, but when we were looking to change our business and take on more contract farming, within that, I was able to look within the, the benchmarking group at other businesses in there and say, well, actually, what kind of business do I want to be? Do I want to be a, 
a sole trader or a partnership business or one who's got a couple of one employee or a few employees or or a large scale business that has got acres that's reducing its fixed costs. And it wasn't to say that that was exactly how my business was going, but it, it gave us an idea of the different types of farming businesses that were out there. And that was a huge tool to to allow us to make our next decisions. Is there anything actually, you know, because people are coming onto your farm, they're looking at your business in quite some detail, you know, and, and they're, they're making comment on it. Is there anything that you suddenly thought, blimey, why have I not seen that before? Oh, there's, pl- there's plenty of things in that. You know, I think was, it, rotation was probably one of those key drivers. You know, Peter, who was the chair of our management group, was, you know, in, as you heard from his summary of his business, has got a very strict and regimented rotation. Now, we were basically probably working at times depending on weather and under pressure or, or you know weather windows or time windows and having a shop as well because you know that took precedence sometimes as well we were just putting crops in where we potentially sometimes we had a clear field and weren't really planning it we've we've moved completely away from that and and are very regimented on our rotation which you know and or rather than chasing the, the the buck you know rather than saying we'll we'll fill the whole place with oilseed drape which we you know which we can't do and you know because that's at some point it's going to come back and bite you and you're going to look at it far more holistically rather than just on a, on a year-to-year basis so you know there's certainly things within there's you know that the group definitely said that we're complicating the issues or or we're inefficient that you thought you got to have a thick. There's no doubt you have to have a thick skin to do it, but you also have to be willing to accept. There's no point in just saying, "Well, we've always done it this way," because that's not the point of it at all. To be honest, I can see what Andrew gets out of it as a host farmer, because I mean, his his business is coming under the microscope. You know, he he's being examined. It's being improved. What do you get out of being part of the process, Peter? Um, it's the over the fence farming thing, really. I mean, we all. We all like to look at how our neighbours are doing things, good or bad. But it was a managed situation where, you know, we were we were specifically looking at maybe the issues that the community group were, felt were affecting their own farms as much as Andrew's, and then just taking a managed approach as to how we would deal with them. And I mean, you know, one thing, one major thing with uh, Andrew's group was grain drying. So we had a real, you know, we had two or three really good meetings where we all looked at grain drying systems and, and which was the best way to go. Now that that applies to everyone in Aberdeenshire. Everybody's drying grain and we all want to have the most efficient systems available for our farms. So that you know that's one example. And also, as Andrew said, the Arbel Business Group was formed out of it as well, where we did did the benchmarking through crop bench and, and, and laterally with farm bench, which lets you drill in far, you know, much further down into your business and, and and see where the issues lie in your business. I mean, it's optional to to uh, be a member of the business groups, but I mean, we had a strong group and I think we all learned a lot from working with the uh, staff like uh, HDB with the likes of Gavin, who, you know, has a real business mind in him. And, you know, we managed to drill down into several topics um, and everybody's farms and see where we could all improve. Also, just another thing you're saying, what do other people get out of it? You know, we were a customer focused business and still are because, you know, a lot whether we're a farm shop or whether we're a OCO or whether we're a, a contract farmer, we're a customer, you know, a customer focused business. So when these other farmers were giving up their time, their day to come to one of our meetings, our, or my kind of a idea said to the group, 
they must go home with at least one message. They must have at least their one take home every day because because there's no point or they won't come back. You won't get that repeat customer. Another another point that you know what did they get out of it and how involved the management group were, which they didn't offer, they didn't take up, and Peter might follow up on this, was I offered them to sell all my grain one year. I didn't. I wouldn't make any decision on that, but they weren't so keen on that one, were you, Peter? No, I would. Uh, I would think lawyers would have needed to be involved in that. Stepped <laughs> away from that one quite quickly. Um, but I mean, it was it was a tremendous offer. I mean, good God, how many people? How many people would potentially hand over their uh, their their year's harvest uh, for you know an, an intelligent group of people? I I I know they are, but I mean, you know, it's uh, selling grain is. Like so, this year is, is I, I guarantee nobody's going to hit the top of the market this year. And if they have, they're a downright liar, I would say. Um, <laughs> but um, no, uh, that, that was an example of how good a monitor farmer Andrew was. He was prepared to do that as a tool for other people to learn from. That is an astonishing offer, Andrew. Why did you make it? I think markets, you know, one of the and there's a if somebody wants to look in the webs website the or old papers, there's a phenomenal blueprint of how to market your grain. And um, that was a uh, written by one of the management team. And that, you know, to to not you know the, the, the actual blueprint, not actually hitting the highs and the lows, just that is a is on there. And I felt that you know our marketing was probably a bit like our rotation at times. It was a bit we had pooled business, you know, because what they're saying is some should be pooled. Now, all, at that time, all our oil seed rate was pooled and a, we forward sold some a, wheat and we spot sold some barley. And that was driven by storage as well. You know, it was not just the, our marketing, it was driven by our storage. And, you know, I felt that if we'd, when we looked at the farm bench side of thing, when we looked at the benchmarking, actually, Yes, yield is king to a point, but your marketing is next is just as important. You know, fixed costs and variable costs are, well, we found out the variable costs were fixed and fixed costs were variable. That's a whole different story. But the marketing was hugely important. So I felt, well, actually, guys, you know, you can't do, you know, let's say you can't do any worse than I can do. So let's let's all go, go out, you guys go out and sell, sell the grain. What would you have done if they'd cocked it up completely? Ah. Oh. I would have. I, I'm sure. I would. I would be di- still be dining out in it, Mark. And I suppose for a, for a podcast like this, I would be sitting, thinking, very pretty, having quite a, a wind up of Peter. <laughs> it, it's always nice to work with somebody else's money, I suppose. But you know, <laughs> I think um, for my sanity and Andrew's sanity, I think we were best to leave that one alone and then discuss the, the results at the end of the year um, as to how, how we got on with our own strategies. But no, uh, a, a tremendous offer, but no, I think it was the right thing to, to decline. It, it was mentioned earlier, the benchmarking group. How did that perform? What was the value of it? So as, as Peter said, the, the benchmarking group came through the, the management group originally and our agricultural business group, I think it's called. And it was the very early days of, H or HGCAs at the time, um, farm bench, and you know we were early adopters of it. And I suppose the first few years was actually just about gathering information. It was quite painful or uh, monotonous. But actually, once you got that information, and, and after a year three, it probably actually really gathered momentum personally. Once we had, once the monitor farm had finished, because at that stage you're then dealing with some historical information from you know three years plus. You've got you've probably had three or four different types of harvests in terms of yield. You've had three or four different types of harvests in terms of the market opportunities. 
And so, and as Peter said, we could drill down to different things. We could look at our fixed costs and we could look at our variable costs and really understand where people, you know, what different businesses. And it's a closed group. Um, it's a closed group in terms of once you're in. Um, it's it's open to all if you, if you share a couple of years worth of information, whatever happens in there stays in there. And vet folk, everyone's very open. And that, you know, that is the, probably the biggest benefit. As much as much as the benefit now about the benchmarking is looking at your figures and looking at what you've done against your peers or against last year, it's actually about the the networking within the group and the even just being able to, you know, out with the group having that. And we probably all knew each other, but we didn't know each other that well. And you know, now that we kind of know bits of our business, then you could, if you've got a problem, you can phone and ask. Or there's what do you, what have you done differently from that? And as, as Peter says, it's that over the fence farming and learning learning from other people. Mm-hmm. But I, we, we always said that um, the figures were were the, were the beginning, the starting point. You know, you, you spent a wee while going through the figures for that year's harvest, but. It was the discussion afterwards uh, as to what had worked that year, why it had worked that year, sharing information, what varieties worked, what um, fungicides, you know, things like that worked. But I mean, it was, it was, we, we were, there were different businesses, big businesses, small businesses, um, and it was just looking what what worked for each each farm. And if there was anything, we can learn from each other. It's all about sharing and learning from each other really and the, but the figures were were really the starting point and then it was a discussion after that where we probably gained the most see this is what i find fascinating about this because historically and i'm saying this as an industry outsider to my you know in, in my opinion farmers did not share historically i mean quite quite the reverse i remember flying out of um a boyne airfield in a glider and i was talking to the pilot you know and i said who comes on these trips you know and he says we'll get a lot of farmers he says but they never want to fly over their own farm they usually want to fly over everybody else's farms so they could look down and observe and be critical now in the past i mean literally it was in never mind over the over the fence it was actually looking straight down at somebody else's farm this is a complete sea change it's working much more cooperatively it, it is, and I mean, it's it's what we, I mean. I always say, if you excuse my grammar, if you if you want to know what makes the good guys good, we need to be able to compare and contrast and see what's working in one one farmer's farm. We all know who the good farmers are in the area, but it's nice to know why, because in Aberdeenshire, lots of areas of Aberdeenshire, our soils are not inherently fertile. We've got to really work on it, and. It's it's the it's the farm factor. It's the farmer factor. It, it, it quite often makes a difference. And if if guys are prepared to share, which I I always am, I'll tell anybody what I'm up to. If we can share and help one another, then hopefully it, it brings the whole industry up to a better level. What do you see as being the real challenges facing Scottish farmers over the next say five or ten years? There's a, a number of things that would say, but you know, no particular order. And just following on from that conversation. Farmers themselves not willing to change is, I think, is is a is a challenge, and I think that's the first the first thing that we've got to look at, and without getting into a whole subsidy discussion and s- subsidies stifling innovation, you know, potentially those kind of things. So, but they're required because we know they're required, but it's getting them to the right place. So, I think that's you know one aspect. Next five years, you know, look at you know if you if you take it today's today's face value. Energy prices, fertilizer prices—you know—that's that's something that is going to be, you know, 
hugely important in our in our decision making process. You know, that's going to make a really interesting benchmark. The benchmarking group this year is going to be very easy because we probably bought fertilizer cheap and sold it and sold the crop um, high. Next year is going to be, you know, the budget one for next year is going to be far more exciting than this year's one, I'd imagine. So, you know, where can we get other sources of fertilizer or, or can, how can we improve or in such like? So that's another one. I think the you know, our, our markets in the last 12 months is going to be in the supply chain. That is going to be our bargaining tool. I think let's look at the positives are, yes, we can import food. There's no doubt about that. But I think if we can show that we can produce it and produce it in, at a level that people are willing, I'm not saying it has to be cheap, but actually just a decent level, a decent price, supply chain to the manufacturers and then to the supermarket, guaranteeing that kind of supply chain and that collaborative approach is probably going to be the biggest thing we need to work on as an industry. That takes in your carbon aspect and your environmental credentials, although from our own experience in the last 12 months, the supermarkets or the customer is less concerned about your environmental credentials at this given time. They're more con concerned about your supply credentials. I mean, what's, what's becoming certainly apparent in the last six months, I mean, labor's going to be a huge issue, whether it be in the, obviously in the process inside. I mean, what's happening with the pig industry at the moment, it's just, it's just criminal. Input supply, can we get fertilizer? I mean, we're all we're all screaming about the price of it. There might become a stage where we, where we uh, we can't get it, and that you know that's that's just one element of it. Um, and also, I would say, political side of it obviously is the attitude of the national government and the devolved governments, not necessarily supporting farmers, but giving us a clear direction as to where they want us to go. You know, that's obviously going to affect a lot of what we do in the next 10 years, I would say. So there's it's it's interesting times. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of folk fall by the wayside, I think, if you're not on your game and as efficient as possible. But there'll be opportunities for uh, for guys that are prepared to, to drive forward and, and, and can do the job properly. Is this an argument, Andrew, for working more cooperatively as an industry you know you, you, i suppose the, the monitor farm concept can it help people actually address those challenges yeah I, i'm gonna <laughs> i would say collaborative working opposed to cooperative and i don't know if there's actually a difference in that in the dictionary so my collaborative working i would suggest is work like-minded people working together cooperative I would liken that to just being an industry, everyone working together with lots of different visions and ways forward. So I would, if you, if there was a difference, that's how I would kind of, so I think collaborative working is, is vital, but you need the like-minded people with the same vision to work together for that to work. I suppose with, um, <laughs> well, how you put on here, Peter? I will, I was, <laughs> I'm uh, vice chairman of Ringling, so from <clears throat> from a Ringling point of view, there's obviously huge advantages when it comes to sharing of resources. Uh, I think the Ring does a good job of that. With my Scottish agronomy hat on, you know, cooperative approach to learning, uh, trial side of the thing, sharing information, whether it be things like regenerative farming, 
you know, if you can get a group of folk together to work together to investigate that side of the thing. There's obviously examples of bad cooperative practice in agriculture for the last 50 years. But there's 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 good examples as well, a lot of good examples. And I think uh, we are better working together if we can, without a doubt. And I think the monitor farm um, element is part of that. I think if we can share information, share good practice together, uh, I think it's, it can only be a good thing. Final question to you, Andrew. Do you think the monitor farm model needs to evolve? Oh, 100%. I think it needs, you know, like farming, everything needs to evolve. So what it evolves to, I'm not entirely sure. I think this year is obviously created with the Zooms and Teams and, you know, the virtual meetings and such. Like, there's another way of, you know, tapping into different meetings. You know, I spent last winter and first lockdown on many a different Zoom call in Middle England, probably somewhere where it was being hosted originally, but, you know, that getting, listening to speakers that, I would, that probably wouldn't have travelled this far north, potentially. So that's been a massive positive. But there's there's a lot to be said to doing the face-to-face, but this hybrid version would hopefully be the way forward. But I think there's, there's aspects of the monitor farm, the foundations of the monitor farm shouldn't change. So the monitor farm itself, the farmer, the willing farmer, and the, and, a, and a good management group are you know shouldn't change how they present it to their effectively as they come back to the to the community their customers whatever way you want to look at it stakeholders I think that's probably a and that probably does need to change evolve. We haven't really mentioned uh, much about facilitation. I think we were uh, extremely lucky to have a really good facilitation team in Jim Booth and and Peter and Amy and Gavin who encouraged us to, to take ownership of the group herself um, and drive it forward. And if, if you get the correct facilitation, you know, it's, it's endless what you can, you can achieve. And I mean, I would say the only thing that I would, I would criticize the Monitor Farms for during our time was that there, was, there wasn't enough interaction with our groups throughout the country. We kind of concentrated on our own wee corner and it would have been nice to you know, to have done the same thing with even groups in, in England and Wales. And but there was a small element of that, but I think there needs to be much more of that to learn lessons from other parts of the country as well as our own corner. Been fascinating stuff. Andrew Booth and Peter Chapman, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Yep. No problem. Aside from this podcast, there are another five featuring farmers who've taken part in the Monitor Farm Scheme. If you haven't already heard them, there might be material or ideas contained within them that you find useful. Until the next podcast, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.